section twenty one of the lord of death and the queen of life this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine G. The Lord of Death and the Queen of Life by Homer Aeon Flint Part 4. The Queen of Life Chapter 8. The Keynote For a minute or two it looked as though Van Emmon had raised an unanswerable question. There was no immediate reply. Even Estra looked around, as though in wonder at the silence, and seemed on the point of answering of his own accord, when a voice came from a man far up on the left. He said, "'A little explanation may be wise. To begin with, you will agree that black is black because white is white, but it doesn't follow that blue is blue because green is green, or red is red. Blue is blue because it is neither green nor red nor any other colour. It is blue.' not because it contrasts with these other colours, but because it merely differs from them. Now, we on Venus do not need poverty in order to appreciate wealth. Instead, each of us is blessed with his own particular choice of wealth. Each is blessed in a different way, some with children, some with intellect, some with other masses, and the question of mere quantity never enters. We do not need pain or misery, spoke up someone else, any more than new people on the earth require an additional colour in order to appreciate the variety you already have. And then from a Venusian with an especially strong voice, that we are really content we know absolutely, for each of us, in his own distinctive way, is wholly and peculiarly satisfied. And it only added to the geologist's irritation to have these striking statements made in good-humoured, impersonal fashion, which totally disarmed all opposition. That the Venusians were perfectly sure of their ground was undeniable, but they had such a cheerful way of looking at it, as though they didn't care a rap whether Van Emmon agreed or not, that, if they'd only have shown some spirit, Van Emmon would have liked it infinitely better if one of them had only become hot about it. At this point Estra rose in his chair. "'I think you have best approach us from a fresh viewpoint,' said he in his unfailingly agreeable manner. The doctor nodded vigorously, and again Estra closed his eyes in that odd, hesitating way. Immediately everyone in the place, with the exception of a single person in the lowest row, took flight in his or her glass pew. In a moment the great vault overhead was fairly swarming with people, and in less than a minute the last of them had floated out through one of the arches in the walls. Estra opened a panel in the central cage and admitted the Venusian who had stayed behind. She, for it appeared to be a young woman, walked with about the same facility as Estra, but as soon as she had entered the space, took the seat Estra had vacated, and waited. The action rather disappointed the doctor. He removed the interpreting telephone from his head, and asked, "'I rather thought we were going to meet one of your officials, Estra. Would have to go back home without having met your president, or whatever you call your chief executive.' The two Venusians exchanged smiles, and to the surprise of the explorers, the woman gave the reply in a language as good as Estra's, 
but an even sweeter expression. There is no such thing as a chief executive on Venus, friends. I meant, explained the doctor, rattled, the chairman of your cabinet, or council, or whatever it is that regulates your affairs. Perhaps, with an inspiration, I should have said, the speaker of your congress. The Venusian shook her head, still smiling. She hesitated while selecting the best words, and the four noted that, while her features were quite as delicate as Sestra's, her face was proportionately larger, and her whole figure better filled out. No one would have said that she was pretty, much less beautiful, but none would deny that she was very good-looking, in a wholesome, intelligent, capable sort of way. Her name, Estra told them later, was Murin, and he explained that he and she were associated solely because of their mutual interest in the same planet, the Earth. Said Murin, You are accustomed to the idea of government. We, however, have outgrown it. If you stop to think, you will agree that the purpose of government is to maintain peace on the one hand and to wage war on the other. Now, as to war, we haven't even separate nations any more. So we have no wars. And as for internal conflict, why should we ever quarrel when each of us is assured all that he can possibly want? So you have abolished government? A very long time ago. You on the earth will do the same, as soon as your people have been educated up to the point of trusting each other. You haven't even a congress, then? Mirin shook her head. All questions, such as a congress would deal with, were settled ages ago. You must remember that the material features of our civilization have not changed for thousands of generations. The only questions that come up now are purely personal ones which each must settle for himself. Van Emmen, as before, was not at all satisfied. You say that machinery does your work for you. I presume you do not mean that literally. There must be some duties which cannot be performed without human direction at least. How do you get these duties accomplished, if you have no government to compel your people to do them? Murin looked at a loss, either for the answer itself or for the most suitable words. Estra gave the reply. Every device we possess is absolutely automatic. There is not one item in the materials we use, but that was constructed, exactly as you see it now, many thousand years ago. Smith was incredulous. Do you mean to say that those little glass pews have been in use all that time? Estra nodded, smiling gently at the engineer's amazement. Like everything else, they were built to last. You must remember that we do not have anything like an investment here. We do not have to consider the question of getting our capital back. So if any further improvements were to be made, they also would be done in a permanent fashion. Billy gave an exclamation of bewilderment. I don't understand. You say that nothing new has been built or even replaced for centuries. How do you take care of your increase in population? thinking of the great crowd that had just left. Mirin was the one who answered this. As she did so, she got slowly to her feet, and speaking with the utmost care, watched to be sure that the four understood her. Ever since the roof was put on, our increase of population has been exactly balanced by our death rate. 
the four followed their guides in silence as they led the way to the plaza now the space was alive with venusians the little cage were everywhere floating about in the air some of the people were laboriously shifting themselves into the aircraft others were guiding their pews directly to nearby houses the visitors got plenty of curious stares from these quiet miracle workers who seemed vastly more at home in the air than on the ground as thick as flies fanemon commented Estra and Mirin, walking very slowly, took them to a side street, where two of the cigar-shaped cars were standing. Billy and Smith got in with Estra, while Fan Emon and the doctor were giving seats besides the Venusian woman. The two cars were connected by a telephone, so that in effect the two parties were one. By this time the visitors had become so accustomed to the transparent material that they felt no uneasiness as the ground receded below them. Smith especially was tremendously impressed with Estra's declaration that the glass was, except for appearance, nothing more nor less than an extremely strong steel alloy. Propelled by the unexplained forces which the two drivers controlled, by means of buttons in black cases, the two cars began to thread their way through the great roof columns and as they proceeded the four grew more and more amazed at the great extent of the city for miles upon miles that heterogeneous collection of buildings stretched unbroken and within system until the eye tired of trying to make out the limits of it what is the name of this city asked billy secretly hoping that it might bear some resemblance to new york it struck her fancy to assume that this supermetropolis represented what Gotham, in time, might become. Estra did not take his attention from what he was doing, but answered as readily as ever, I do not blame you for mistaking this for a city. The fact is, however, that we have no such thing. Billy stared at him helplessly. You've abolished cities too? Not exactly, in the same sense that we have abolished nations, yes. Likewise we have abolished states, also counties. Neither have we such a thing as the country now. My friends, Venus is simply one immense city. End of section 21 Recording by Christine G. in Oslo, Norway The 3rd of April, 2012